Welcome to the Fabulous 413. I'm Khalees Smith. And I'm Monty Belmonte. Later this hour, acclaimed photographer Gregory Crudson on how one of his photographs is being used to try and save a picture house, the triplex in Great Barrington. Congressman Jim McGovern on how his rules committee no longer rules and on whether or not he'll be involved in the Commonwealth paying back the federal government for pulling from the wrong pool of money to the tune of $2.5 billion. Plus, the Public Theater in New York may put up free Shakespeare in their park, but we'll give you a preview of the Greenfield Players who'll be performing six free performances of Shakespeare's Twelfth Night. What does that make it? 48th Night? <laughs> no. At the Energy Park in Greenfield. But first... <laughs> That's not what 12 times 6 is. <laughs> what is it? 72. 72. I'm terrible at be math. Better. See? Oh, I can't. I try hard. But first, Fab Passion Fashion Week New England. There's a preview happening in Springfield. And in studio, we have Richie Richardson, who is behind all of it, and Roberta Wilmore of Make It Springfield. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank to- you. Thank you for having us. Richie Richardson, you have a shop right around the corner from where I live in Great Falls, Turner's Falls, Montague, Massachusetts, called Fab. Tell us what Fab Fashion is, the store, and then how it became this Fab Fashion show that we can talk about here coming up in Springfield in a couple weeks. So we formed Fab, um, Fab Richie Richardson Fab, eponymous name, mm-hmm. um, with my wife. My wife is my partner in Fab. We were the co-founders of Fab. I am the primary designer. What we wanted to do is to create a fashion business, a fashion brand that was unique to New England. New England um, has a a large white population, but that was very, very specific to us. It was very special because we wanted to be in a place where you are unique, you're different, and you can shout and you can bring an element of international fashion by international ethnic designers. We were very specific in that for that reason because there is not a lot of that here. So Fab is not just my work. Fab represents the work of a collective other designers from, I like to call the global village. People (laughs) we reach out to from Africa and the Caribbean, which are actually the most fascinating emerging fashions in the world today. So that's what we do at Fab. Are there designers that you work with here, or are they um, like immigrants that have come here from those communities, or are they like truly global? You bring them in for the night of fashion to present their work. So if we're talking about the boutique first, mm-hmm. specifically, um, some of the designers are here in the United States, some are from the diaspora, um, and some of some are part of the connections we've built over the years with designers from our base in New York and the Caribbean. Very cool. We're speaking with Richie Richardson of Fab Fashion, who's now brought the boutique to Springfield for Fab Fashion Passion Week through Make It Springfield. And joining us from Make It Springfield is Roberta Wilmore. For those who might not be familiar with the work of Make It Springfield, tell us about what Make It Springfield is first. Mega Springfield is a gift to creative people in this area. That's the way we like to think of it. It's a home for artists and makers or for people who are thinking about being artists and makers and have been doing it for a while but aren't calling themselves that. And we are encouraging them to use those words. So we have a space and we have tools. We have encouragement. We have support. We like to work on sort of the emotional side of trying to live a creative life. And it's a beautiful, beautiful space. 
You were on Worthington, right? And now you have a new space. Where's the new space? The new space is 286 Bridge Street. Mm -hmm. The one in Worthington got so crowded it looked like a used clothing (laughs) closet. (laughs) (laughs) I've been there there for crowded occasions, and it was a lot of fun. It's such a great space, and to see the creative things that people were doing in that space on Worthington. But more space on Bridge, I'm imagining, yeah? A lot more space. Uh, We have almost 4,000 square feet. Excellent. And we're now working on renovating a third floor also. So we expect to have some studio space for artists to rent for very cheap to finish projects that they're on. Are there fashion classes at Make It Springfield? Are there workshops and things for people to maybe who are interested but don't necessarily know some of the basics or want to expand what they can do? I'll try to give the short answer, which is <laughs> I have been in love with fashion my entire life. Wonderful. Uh, and had been thinking about how to bring that in to make it and if I should and if anybody wanted it because it's not about what I love. And I don't even know how I met Richie. <laughs> but Richie once, somehow knows everybody. Yeah, I don't, I don't even know how it happened. I was trying to remember. That's facts. But it really made a, made, made a difference to think about supporting his work and his aspirations in this area in New England, and particularly in Mass in Western Massachusetts. Um, so once we began to explore what that could look like, all of a sudden, people interested in fashion and design were coming out of the windows. I mean, really and truly, the place is boiling over with people. And so what we are doing, the shorter answer is, we have a five-month program that we're doing. We just started to work on this year for teenagers who are very into style and very into fashion. It also has a huge number of advisors and mentors who are in the world of fashion in various ways from costume design to getting their stuff in photo shoots to teaching to owning fabric stores. So that's the big thing we're doing on top of partnering with Fab Fashion. That's amazing. And I know that some of the mission behind Fab Passion Fashion Week is to kind of say Springfield is going to be or is the fashion capital of New England. And we just had on the show last week Ruth E. Carter, who won Fabulous. two Oscars for fashion. Lucky you. Yeah, I know. That was I know. really, yeah. I think that maybe the greatest That is hard to do. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we also Congratulations. discovered that. Yeah. It took us two months to get her on, thanks to Tony Dunn for working on it. So we wanted her on on Oscar week in February, but we got her last week, and it was still, it was one of the greatest That's conversations. That's beautiful. But that being said, there is a, a precedent set, even yeah. if it's just because of Ruthie Carter, that Springfield is a fashion central location. So how many people are you working with with Fashion Preview Springfield, which is Saturday, June 24th at the Innovation Center Auditorium, which is at the Make It Springfield space? Yes, uh-huh. right next door to our space. So so what we're looking at is um, this is actually a preview to the Fashion Week. Uh-huh. And Fashion Week is actually in September over a period of four days. Three days in Springfield, high fashion, um, with um, top-of-the-line designers from the region, from New York, from the Caribbean, from the Global Village, and some of the emerging designers as well. It has two elements to it. One part of it is the high fashion. The other part of it is the upcycle fashion, which is a huge thing in New England. That we will keep in Turner's Falls. That we will, will remain at the Discovery Center. That is the free aspect of the show. The high fashion aspect of the show are where designers will actually pay to participate. That brings together um, people from the industry, media, press, new and emerging designers, 
stakeholders, because what we saw through what I saw through with meeting with Roberta and Maker Springfield, I recognize that this region is literally the gateway to Massachusetts, right here, right here. This place is special in that sense. It's just two hours and a half, literally, less than three hours from New York City. When I tell my friends from New York that we were going to be doing a preview here, they thought it was an easy trip. I mean, just think about the mindset. Added to that, there's a huge transportation hub. We came in via Amtrak. So even if you can't drive, you can get here, as opposed to further north where the transportation possibilities are less. On the 24th, what we're actually doing is creating a preview very similar to what we did in, in New York during Fashion Week. So we did something very unique. We took a product that is called New England Fashion Week, Fab Passion New England Fashion Week, to New York and launched it at New York Fashion Week at our <laughs> embassy. It and was fun! <laughs> Sounds fun! What's it a, was we really have an embassy fun. in New York? I'm going to say our embassy, I mean Trinidad and Tobago embassy. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm Caribbean. I'm, <laughs> I was like, Western Mass? Has yes, a, yes. An yes. embassy in New York and, City? And, <laughs> it's not just Williamsburg? Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's not Brooklyn, where everybody comes from to move to Northampton? Exactly. But what made it really cool is that it was the very first time a fashion event was being held at any embassies anywhere in the United States. Wow. I mean, being launched in that way. Mm -hmm. And um, the reception, the turnout was really, was really great. But what made it also really remarkable is that we got a collective of designers from practically several regions of the world, Pakistan, India, um, Puerto Rico, Africa, the Caribbean, the United States, New York. It was just an incredible showing of real talent. What we would like to do is to bring that talent here, have them build what is already the foundations here. There are foundations everywhere, in every community, even when people say, well, I don't have anything to create, I haven't been doing, but you have been in the back room doing your tailoring and it seems to sing for the last 20 years. Mm -hmm. So don't tell me that you're not creating. People th mistake like what that creating, my mom does the same thing with like quilts. She's like, I'm not good at this, but her quilts are gorgeous. Oh my goodness. And so it's like, people don't necessarily like undermine what their actual abilities are all of the time. They undermine themselves because they compare it to others. Exactly. And they compare it to the real established people. And what Maker Springfield is doing is giving those people the momentum and the space and the encouragement, hey, make what you can. And we will find a way in what we are doing to integrate that. We are really putting a call out to the local designers. We have the the global that can come here that's the that's what we are built for we can do that we can help uplift the, the 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 fashion statement we can bring the real people who can make the statement who have the brand names who have the following that's our role but that's the secondary role that we also play is not just as a producer we we, we don't want to just come in here and do a show you want to come in and work with the community you want to partner with the people who are relevant here, who know the community, who can speak to that community, who have had a history of working with that community. We can't do it alone. So without this partnership, nothing can be accomplished. It doesn't matter how much brand name designers we have. Unless we didn't have this buy-in, 
this love fest that is taking place <laughs> because creativity is, a, is, is, is actually a mission of love. What also works for us is that we really focus on diversity. And I mean that in, 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 in the truest sense of the word. In fashion in particular, fashion has a history of holding racism in its place. The arts in America, and I'm going to be specific here, does that really well. I come from a region of the world where we slap that in his face. It has no value. <laughs> it has no value. It is stupid. It is silly because diversity is, it's, 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 it, it allows for inclusivity. It allows for everyone to participate. Just think about how, go outside and look at your garden. <laughs> Have you ever seen one plant displace the other because it didn't like the way it looked? <laughs> we are the only people who do that, human nature. So, Think about how much things thrive and make it Springfield. Actually, that's the core of their mission. So what we are doing with fashion actually marries itself naturally to them. So for, for us, as a beginning point, as an entry point, I think we are in the right place with the right people at the right time. That is Richie Richardson from Fab Fashion in Turner's Falls, where there will be an upcycled fashion show. And from Fab Passion Fashion Week, New England, which there will be a preview on Saturday, June 24th. Now, the the invitation I saw says uh, <laughs> admission by invitation. So can people attend this? Or are you still looking for designers and people people just to come in? Yeah. And Roberta Wilmore from Make It Springfield, where this will happen. I will speak to that. All you got to do is get in touch with me and you can get an invitation. So the you, really, Fab 413 reason. listeners, consider this your invitation. Roberta <laughs> at makeitspringfield.org. Nice. The, we have to pay some attention to numbers. Mm -hmm. So we thought that would be the best way that we had some control over the number of people that we can actually seat. Okay. So it says that, but it doesn't. we're not going to turn anybody away who wants to go. And we have a long list and invitations about to go out. Of Wonder. people who already have asked. As far as the designers are concerned, they need to come forward right now. Yeah. And they need to go straight to Richie. Yeah. And that information is on our website. Uh, we have it on Facebook. It's on the uh, flyers and posters that are out there because that's his expertise. And ours is to be incredibly inclusive, incredibly supportive. And we will help in any way we can. And I mean that somebody who's trying to get in there. Yeah. The other thing we're going to do is we're going to try very hard to get a few really brave designers, emerging designers, emerging meaning maybe they're hiding, mm -hmm. uh, to let us hang some of their work mm -hmm. in some of the empty storefronts downtown Love so it. that we really, with a bio, yeah. so that we can begin to share some of the people who are out here. So oh, that's so cool. That's one of our, that's one of our goals. Um, just right in that downtown area in places that are a little a little busy and will, people will walk by and see it. So. Yeah, don't be shy. Go take advantage yeah. of that. Don't be shy. Don't, yeah, take the quilt out of the closet that you've been working on. Turn it into fashion. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> well, not everyone will be in the show. Of course. So this gives... It's another, it's another element that gives people an opportunity to show their work. That very shy... I like to use the word emerging designers when I speak to people because... In my experience, emerging means someone who just came out of school as well as someone who's in their 30s, 40s, 50s. And, and, and let me describe it in, in, in a simpler way. I know people who have been creating all their lives. They don't have a shop. They don't have a commercial space. But they do have a clientele. Or they do have friends and family they create for. 
But because then they don't see themselves in that sort of in the part of the creative economy in that in that instrumental way, they think that they don't have anything to contribute. So we wanted to speak to those people directly. You have something. You have work. You have a body of work, probably laying around in your closet, and you take it out and you show your friends and you dress up on Halloween night or whatever. <sighs> we are speaking directly to you. If you have two or three pieces that you make. Whatever you create that is your work, that is your input, that comes from you, we want you to be in this show. Find a way to contact us. We're not hiding. We're not in mass. So you can find us anywhere. Okay? Speak to Roberta at, at Maker Springfield if you cannot. Or reach out directly to me. I'm very easy to speak to. I love people. I talk a lot. So, <laughs> so come in because we want this to be a compliment of what we call the global village and local people. We are building something here in, 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 in Springfield that we started three years ago in, in Turner's Falls when we started producing Fashion Week. And we feel that there is so much here that can feed, that can nurture, that can build what we are, what we are growing. And we just want the, the entire community to be as excited as we are and don't feel don't feel bashful. Bring it. <laughs> Richie bring Richardson it. asking you to bring it. <laughs> Fab Passion Fashion Week preview is Saturday, June 24th. You can find out more about Make It Springfield and all of the fashion that they will be hosting at makeitspringfield.org. Thanks as well to Roberta Wilmore from Make It Springfield. Can't wait to see what comes out of it. Later this hour, acclaimed photographer Gregory Crudson on how one of his photographs is being used to try and save a picture house, the triplex in Great Barrington. Up next, Congressman McGovern on how we can all taste the air this week and on what, if anything, Congress is doing to help prevent disasters like this in the future. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on NEPM. The Fabulous 413 podcast is funded by Northeast Solar, offering solar options, energy security, and solutions for the local community. Learn more at northeast-solar.com. Time for our weekly check-in with U.S. Congressman from the 2nd Congressional District of Massachusetts and the chair of the Rules Committee. We're going to find out why the Rules Committee no longer rules. Uh, coming up in a little bit. But once again, thank you for joining us, Congressman, on the Hadleytown Common for the Asparagus Festival over the weekend. We aired that conversation on uh, on Monday. Favorite items that you picked up from the Asparagus Festival? I bought my Hadley grass, and I brought it home, and I, it was wonderful. But I also At the cannabis dispensary stuff. there? Oh, not that Hadley yeah. grass. I see. No, not that grass. The other kind of. But but I had, I had some fried asparagus, and I learned how to pronounce asparagus differently. <laughs> From Wally Sykowski, <laughs> asparagus, yes. Oh, yeah, asparagus, <laughs> right? You know, so, I mean, it was, it was fine. And it was, a, and it was a nice day. I mean, it was, you know, it was not too hot, and it was wonderful and great to see a lot of good people, and it's a fun event. It was a fun event, and it goes to support your public radio station, where I work now, New England Public Media. Um, before that, though, you were at Coffee with the Congressman at the Banks Community Center in Amherst, and we talked so much asparagus on the common that I didn't get to ask you about what the concerns of the people that you had coffee with in Amherst were. What are the things that are rising, like the cream uh, in your coffee, for the people of Amherst? Well, you know, Amherst being Amherst, I guess what topic wasn't covered uh, during that, that meeting? But it, no, it was a it was a very good conversation about a whole range of things. I mean, people are concerned about what's happening in Washington, deals that were being made to raise the debt ceiling and 
people concerned about adverse impacts on vulnerable communities. Yeah, we talked about the libraries and the importance of libraries and investing in more libraries. I mean, you name it, and, and it was covered. But it, it was a, a really good conversation. And look, I do these all over the district. And I learn a great deal from the conversations I have with people because sometimes I think I know what you know front and center of people's minds. But oftentimes when you go to these events, people talk about other things. So it's a way for me to learn about what people care about and people get to grill me. And that's and that's the way it should be. And I will grill the congressman on your behalf at any time if you email us, thefab413 at nepm.org. Do you meet people that are uh, in opposition to you when you have a coffee like that in Amherst with the folks? Because, you know, they jokingly call it the People's Republic of Amherst. And, you know, uh, I'm not going to say that you're a communist, but that they, maybe you have a left-leaning sensibilities, let's say. So are there things that they take umbrage with, with you, either from the perspective on the right or the perspective on the far left when you get together in Amherst? Yeah, I don't recall anybody being confrontational at that meeting we had, but I do have uh, events like this in other parts of my district where you know people don't appreciate my point of view, uh-huh. and so we have much more heated uh, conversation. You know, oftentimes the conversations in Amherst and Northampton and other places in the in the west, the western part of my district, are about you know we need you to do more, uh, we want you to push harder on certain things. But this was a, this was actually a very good back and forth, I thought. The, the room was filled and lots of people came. And again, it was thoughtful conversation. And I, I really appreciate that. Speaking with U.S. Congressman Jim McGovern from the 2nd Congressional District of Massachusetts, which for the last few days has been filled with air that you can taste because of the wildfires that have been raging in Canada. Are you back in Washington, D.C.? What's the uh, air like there? I mean, it was bad yesterday. Today it's worse. Wow. Uh, I mean, there's a, a real... Um, noticeable haze, um, and it smells like you know you're standing next to a campfire burning. This is not healthy air for people to breathe. And um, again, it reminds us that climate change is a is a real issue here. Uh, I mean, so one of the reasons why these wildfires happen so often, although they spread uh, so rapidly, has a lot to do with the fact that our planet has a fever. That it's that moisture is not as evident in the land and in the air. You know that might even contain some of these fires. But it reminds us that we need to get serious about these issues. I know that the Biden administration is sending some firefighters as well as equipment to Canada to help fight these fires. Were there any chatter in the halls of Congress about any sort of legislation that may come out of this in regards to either our, our own wildfires that happen uh, mostly on the West Coast here or uh, continuing to assist what's going on in Canada? Well, I mean, uh, kind of things here in the House are at a standstill for the last couple of days. Mm-hmm. Um, we could talk about that later. So there hasn't been a lot of discussion about legislation, but I'm sure the Biden administration will, uh, you know, will, you know, will step up I mean, because this is a, this is a, an issue that impacts not just Canada. Obviously, it's impacting people here uh, in the United States. But look, over the last five decades since the Clean Air Act was passed, air quality has gotten much better. Uh, but we have I have colleagues here on the Republican side who want to undo the environmental protections and the air and bring us back to a point where air is was a lot more polluted. And we're seeing, you know, right now that, you know, the things are quite bad. I mean, it's pretty incredible that nearly every other day in the 1980s, Philadelphia, for example, saw air quality at the levels we're experiencing today. Hmm. We, we, we need to do better than we're doing. This should be a wake-up call. People who are walking outside and smelling this burning air work doubly hard to make sure that we, we map out a future where our environment is uh, front and center. Congressman McGovern, you're currently the ranking member of the Rules Committee. You were formerly the chair of the Rules Committee until the new Congress was sworn in 
earlier this year and earlier this week, for the first time in more than 20 years, a rule lost. What does that even mean when a rule loses? It means that everything comes to a halt. Uh, We can't move legislation forward. Uh, There's no debate. You know, there's no deliberation. And that's Um, why Congress is at a standstill, as you mentioned before, is because because the rules lost. Yep, the rule lost. Now, the legislation that the rule was going to bring up wasn't particularly good legislation, but the bottom line is uh, the Republicans are in charge and they have their agenda, and uh, they were unable to move it. And that's because there's an extreme group within the Republican Party that wants bills that are even more extreme, wants um, gun legislation that's more extreme, wants deeper cuts in our appropriations bills, wants to roll back civil rights and legislation. I mean, I, I go right down the list, and they're not happy uh, because they think Kevin McCarthy isn't extreme enough, that the bills that they're bringing to the floor are not awful enough, and so they're having a little protest and uh, saying that we're not going to vote for any rules, you know, unless you put in writing that you will do the things we want you to do. I don't know all the things that they're they're demanding. I do know that they want lower spending caps. I do know they want more pro-gun legislation on the floor, uh, more anti-environmental legislation on the floor. But those conversations are ongoing, and they have not been resolved yet. And so we'll see what happens. They have the weekend to continue these conversations. But there's obvious dysfunction on display here in Washington right now. And it's between the Republicans. I'm I'm assuming the Democrats aren't voting for this legislation either. But And I know that yeah. you have a collegial relationship with the new, right. the current chair of the Rules Committee. This is really a faction of the Republican Party that won't advance the rules. Do the rules then go, I'm assuming the, the, the texts of the bills don't get written in the rules. So why is this happening in the Rules Committee? And why is that shutting everything down? Well, sometimes texts of bills do get written in the rules. That's not an unusual thing. But the bottom line is no bill can come to the floor without a rule. And so the Rules Committee sometimes decides whether the text of the bill stays as it is or it changes, what amendments can be made in order, you know, the time you could have to debate. I mean, it sounds like an awful lot of process, but it really is a lot more substance. But if you want to move any bill to the floor, you need to go to the Rules Committee. We need to provide it a rule for consideration and then needs to be voted on. When the rule is passed, then the consideration of the bill begins. And, you know, as I said, a lot of the legislation that the Republicans are bringing are stuff that I would never support. They're, they're awful bills. And they go against my values and the values of a lot of Democrats. But the majority party, whoever it may be, Democrats, Republicans, are really responsible for keeping this house running and for bringing things to the floor. And, you know, I tweeted that when I was chairman of the Rules Committee, we never lost a rule. I'm just saying, right? Uh, And this is the first time um, since, you know, in 20 years that this has happened. And, you know, it doesn't bode well for how they're going to function, you know, in the months ahead. And we have a lot of very difficult things we're going to have to deal with, including appropriations bills, funding bills, budget bills. And, you know, they're having this infighting. And Kevin McCarthy brought this on himself because he made all these deals with these Freedom Caucus people in order to become Speaker. And they are now using their muscle to try to get what they want, stuff they cannot normally pass through regular order. And uh, they're making his life miserable. And he said last night, he's not even sure what they want, because every time he meets with one of them, they have a different set of, they have a different set of demands. And so, 
I'm not at the point where I feel bad for him because he brought this on himself. And, you know, he needs to figure out a way to get out of this thing. They're claiming that there was a secret deal between him and them in January in which he promised all these different things. We don't know what the deal is. <laughs> we don't know. It must be a good deal if it was secret. Uh, but they want that in writing now, and they want him to deliver. Congressman McGovern, before I let you go, um, it seems likely that uh, Jack Smith, the special counsel for the Department of Justice, um, will potentially be serving Trump and his team with a series of indictments using the Espionage Act, the same act that Julian Assange and Edward Snowden have been charged with uh, as of late. Your take on, on this potential indictment in regards to the classified documents that Trump is alleged to have taken with him to Mar-a-Lago and, and what this might mean. Well, we'll have to see what the indictment says. But look, nobody should be above the law, uh, even Donald Trump. And he's under the illusion that because he's Donald Trump, he doesn't have to follow the same rules and laws as everybody else. I don't know whether an indictment helps him politically or with his base or or hurts him. I mean, uh, every time he seems to get indicted or even, even when he gets convicted of things, his numbers go up amongst Republican-based voters. But um, look, I, I hope, and I say this to my Republican friends all the time, for the good of the country, you need to move beyond him. Because this isn't even about Democrats versus Republicans or liberals versus conservatives. This is about a, a person who is an egomaniac, who is power-hungry, and who doesn't care about our democracy. He doesn't care about regular people. All he cares about is himself and enriching himself. He needs to be held accountable. We'll see how this proceeds, but uh, I expect that there will be an indictment on this. And by the way, there'll be other indictments, I assume, uh, related to January 6th coming down the road. But uh, just because he's Donald Trump and was former president doesn't mean he gets to escape the, the law. It was interesting to hear former Vice President Mike Pence, now presidential candidate, saying almost the same things that you said, maybe with a little more mitigated tone <laughs> about uh, Trump and having to choose between the Constitution and, and the man, and that that uh, is the kind of campaign that Mike Pence will be running. So we'll see what happens uh, if and when these indictments come through. You can always ask a question of the congressman. He's on every Thursday, virtually, although I'm on the Cape next week, so you get the week off. Oh, uh, I'll get on. Oh, good. Well, have a good, ta- have a good time at the Cape. I hope, uh, I hope the air is clear and clean. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so, and too. Maybe we Don't can... wear any objects when you go swimming in the ocean, because... There were sharks, so be careful. Yes, it is shark season there. I have my Sharktivity app on my phone, which is really, oh, I love watching that. Uh, but you can send a question to the congressman at thefab413 at nepm.org or text us 1-800-639-9120. Speak with you in a fortnight, congressman. All right. Be safe. All the best. Coming up, photographer Gregory Crudson and picture 20 years in the making that is shining a light on saving the Triplex Theater in Great Barrington. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on NEPM. Welcome back to The Fabulous 413. We're joined by photographer Gregor- Gregory Crudson. From his website, Gregory Crudson photographs have entered the American visual lexicon, taking their place alongside the paintings of Edward Hopper and the films of Alfred Hitchcock and David Lynch as yes. indelible evocations of a silent psychological interzone between the everyday and the uncanny. While the small town settings of many of Crudson's images are broadly familiar, the website continues, he's careful to avoid signifiers of identifiable sites and moments, establishing a world outside of time. His artist statement reads, 
What I am interested in is that moment of transcendence where one is transported into another place, into a perfect, still world. Gregory is using his work to support a small-town cinema. You still have until tomorrow, Friday, June 9th, to support the saving of the Triplex Theater in Great Barrington by purchasing a limited-edition Gregory Crudson print featuring actor Lauren Ambrose, who, with her husband, is part of the nonprofit Form to Save the Triplex. Gregory, thank you so much for joining us. It's my pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> this is a, a great thing you're doing. I'm a big fan of saving theaters. Uh, before we start to talk about your relationship with Lauren Ambrose, who people may know from the television show Six Feet Under and who now plays the adult van in the show Yellow Jackets, which I'm obsessed with, <laughs> tell us about your relationship with the triplex and why this is something you wanted to do. Well, I have a long-term connection to this um, uh, setting, this uh, place. Um, the Berkshires. Um, I'm originally from Brooklyn, but um, I've been coming up here throughout what, since my childhood and um, now currently live in Great Barrington. And um, movies in general have been so important to me and the triplex particularly has like a very meaningful um, connection to both me and my family, um, not only watching movies there over the last 30 years. But um, we, uh, my family was close friends with Pauline Kael, the great um, movie critic who also lived in Great Barrington. And uh, I have very distinct memories of going to see movies with her. Is it and hard going to, a, many to see ways, a movie with a movie critic like that where, uh, are they critical during the movie or do they just empty it all out when the movie's over? I think that like, the most pressing thing I learned from her, even as when I was young and then uh, later on, uh, is how important movies are mm. and how um, how it could um, transform people's lives. And I feel like, you know, there's an interesting relationship between my work as a photographer and movies in general in terms of the production and um, the feel of the pictures. Um, and I think a lot of that, uh, if I look at it retrospectively, um, is directly related to Pauline. And um, uh, so, um, and then just like over the years, seeing movies there every week, you know, um, going to see, uh, uh, you know, it's such as it's so different and important. I think all of us understand than um, experiencing films on TV, and there's still something very meaningful about uh, the experience of um, watching a film and collectively um, on a big screen, light on a screen. You know, and especially something important about smaller theaters like art house theaters especially in smaller areas just some of those films that don't necessarily get as much commercial love but are just as brilliant and interesting on screen and I honestly think I, there's a lot of that influence in your work in general is that why you were well one of the many reasons probably why you donated to help the campaign yes I mean when I learned that like the triplex theater um, was scheduled to close. Uh, 
Um, of course, I was saddened on so many different levels, but you know, obviously, you're so right. There's something about um, a, the movie theater in a small town that is important on so many different le levels in terms of the community center and um, and seeing art house films that aren't necessarily in the larger, more commercial um, theaters. So, um, and I thought that this would be such a, just so sad for um, the community if we lost it. So before um, we so, get to the, um, the photograph yeah. that is going to aim to help save the theater itself, uh, for those who haven't been following it, uh, the Triplex, according to the SaveTheTriplex.org website, closed on Monday, this past Monday, June 5th, uh, after uh, serving the community for 30 years. And now the goal is to raise $1.7 million to buy and then reopen the theater in a nonprofit sort of situation like local cinemas in Williamstown and Chatham and Millerton, New York. And Amherst. And Amherst is its own nonprofit theater. And those are valuable resources to those communities, of course. And we're speaking with photographer Gregory Crudson, who has a cinematic kind of scope in regards to the way his films look. It's almost like if you took them and flipped them really quickly, it would turn into a gorgeous movie, <laughs> which they could show at the triplex. But the, the picture in particular that you can donate and receive uh, up until tomorrow is of actor Lauren Ambrose, who I mentioned uh, is I got to know through Six Feet Under um, and who now I love in the, the television show Yellow Jackets. But you also, I believe, got to know Lauren through Six Feet Under and your photography work. Is that true, Gregory? Yeah, so it's really sort of interesting, I think almost fateful story here. Um, I was a huge fan of Six Feet Under when, as I think many people were when it originally uh, came out um, in the early 2000s. And um, there was a strange moment when I was actually named on uh, uh, um, on one of the episodes and without my knowledge. Um, because Lauren's character was a, was a photography student and was referencing your work on a TV show. <laughs> That's, That's kind right. of amazing. It was like one of those outer body experiences. I was like, I think my name was just mentioned, but I'm not quite sure. <laughs> And this was before you could like go back right, and rewind. Yeah. There goes know? my ego so, again. Um, <laughs> uh, it was just a really strange thing. And then the next season, um, Alan Ball, who's the creator of the series, contacted me and asked if I would consider doing the um, the the image for the announcing the next season. Um, which is something I've never done and have not done since, but it was, really i just found so compelling wound up making a picture on the set of six feet under um and met uh, lauren uh and the rest of the cast there and um and then we just wound up um then it turns out that she also um uh um had a mutual love for this area and also has a home here um, in the area so um, I wound up doing it, uh, I was, at that time I was doing a very large scale series of pictures called Beneath the Roses, which was really sort of um, working with like a cinematic team and, uh, as you mentioned, capturing these kind of mm. 
liminal moments. moments. Yeah, and like I'll describe the picture that of of Lauren. It's in front of a, a gas station in what looks like a small town somewhere, looking wistfully off into the distance. And you have one more day to contribute to the campaign to receive this limited edition Gregory Crudson photograph. Um, and Lauren Ambrose, I should mention, and her husband are are also part of this effort to uh, to turn the triplex cinema into a nonprofit. Your work is glorious. The story of your connections and how it came about and then how you became part of the Six Feet Under show are excellent. And I think what you're doing, Gregory, is excellent to help uh, to save this theater. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is a great pleasure. And I hope everyone um, um, able to uh, get on the web Aperture website and uh, purchase the picture. And you can also find a link at savethetriplex.org. Gregory Crudson, thank you so much. Up next, the Greenfield players get down with their bard selves in the Energy Park this weekend. We'll shake it up with cast and crew in studio. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on NEPM. Don't push any buttons. <laughs> I'm about to soliloquize. No, you're not. If music be the food of love, play on. Welcome back to the fabulous 413. Monty's soliloquy there is the opening line to Shakespeare's Twelfth Night. And this weekend and next, you can see Shakespeare's Twelfth Night performed for free by the Greenfield Players, a collaborative theater group in Western Mass working with the Greenfield Rec Department. It's this Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and next Saturday and Sunday in the Greenfield Energy Park. Joining us are producer and founding member Rachel Crown and Townsend, actor Daniel Greycloud Jacob, who plays Duke Orsino, actor Steve Cronin Townsend, who plays Festa the Witty Fool, and actor Cassie Wood, Triple who plays Viola. Welcome. Thank you Thank so much. You. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I feel like the first question is why Twelfth Night? There are so many, a good, a good like almost 40 Shakespeare plays. Um, what, why Twelfth Night? That is a very interesting question, <laughs> and it delves deep into how we make decisions as a disorganized group. <laughs> Twelfth Night was picked because Helen, who is our volunteer director, that's the one she wanted to direct. <laughs> well, Twelfth Night resonates. So and democratic. I, Khalees and I have been saying this, that Twelfth Night is one of our favorite Shakespeare's. I mean, the, another question may be like, why are we still performing the work of this 400-year-old white dude uh, for free so many places in the world? Like, haven't we done it enough already? But Twelfth Night in particular has so many resonant themes, I think, for now, <laughs> in gender bending and, and loving who you love. And it's perfect for Pride Week and Pride Weekend yep. in Greenfield this weekend as well. But for those who are, are not familiar with the plot of Twelfth Night, does anyone want to take give us a, a quick overview of, of what Twelfth Night is about? Uh, sure. Um, I So the show centers around an A plot and a B plot, right? right. So they're the A plot, uh, which I'm going to say is the romantic plot, involves uh, a woman who arrives on shore shipwrecked and decides that in order to make her way into this world, she's going to dress up like a man and serve a duke who is in love with a uh, princess who is uh, not in love with him. (laughs) And so the duke sends his uh, new eunuch off to woo the princess 
and a chaos ensues. <laughs> Shenanigans. Shenanigans. <laughs> and it, it is really one of the funnier Shakespeare plays, For I sure. think. And you play Duke Orsino, uh, Dan Jacob, yes? I do. Or, and you made a joke at the Asparagus Festival about uh, Duke Orsino has a great opening line, but he's your nickname for your character is? Oh, yes. I, I figured he should be called Duke Forcino because he's only in four scenes. <laughs> <laughs> so he's an important role and he kicks the whole thing off, but he's not in it a ton. Festy, though, is is in it quite a bit and is one of the, the funnier uh, parts of it. There's all sorts of uh, other characters, witty characters, through Toby Belch. Tell me about what you like playing, uh, why you like playing Festy. Oh, I, I love the fact that uh, Feste always knows uh, just what to say. You know, that line you think of, you know, like a day later, I should have said that. Feste knows right then. There's that so, one character in each Shakespeare, especially comedies, and some of the, um, like, the romances where, like, there's that one character who sees everything for what it really is and says what you're thinking. And Feste, absolutely, for, for 12 Night is. They kill it in, 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 they kill that character in Romeo and Juliet, and the play suffers for it. I said what I said. (laughs) (laughs) However, (laughs) what we did not mention is that everybody in this play is stupid (laughs) because we have two twins. One is a man. One is a woman. They both present as male and nobody can tell them apart, including, I might argue, our very smart wit, Feste, the jester. Hey, I... I know. My character knows. <laughs> My character knows she's really a woman. And uh, it comes out a couple times. Well, it is, she should go beard. It is interesting of Shakespeare ho- to have chosen the jester, of course, to be the one who actually knows all of it. It's oftentimes the comedians in our cultures who really do know <laughs> yes. what is going on. The other thing I think is interesting about this is that it's a partnership with the Greenfield Recreation Department to offer this for free. How did this partnership come about in the Energy Park, which is right there off of... Main Street in Greenfield. This, my friends, is a tale of COVID. Wow. You're going to say it in Shakespearean? (laughs) Yeah. So um, Beth, who was the director of our very first play, Macbeth, I just said it. We're not in the theater, so you can say it. You don't have to call it the Scottish play. (laughs) Mackers. So um, we were in a production of Midsummer Night's Dream together a number of years ago in Look Park in um, Northampton. And we had a really good time. And it was the summer before COVID. And then COVID happened. And a bunch of us who were in Midsummer Night's Dream together got together. And we would remotely do... um, Script readings. Uh-huh. You know, one week we'd do a Shakespeare play, one week we'd do a modern play. One, one, but, we were, but we were missing theater. And we were like, well, we could do theater outside. And we are like, well, where could we do theater outside? And I was like, well, I don't know, maybe we could just play around on the stage in Greenfield at the, at the Energy Park. And I wasn't really thinking it would be a thing, a big thing. I was just like, my friends and I want to put on a play. Maybe some people will see it. So I literally, I was like, well, I don't know, how do I use the Energy Park? So I went to the town. I went to the town of website, town of Greenfield's website, and I typed in the question. I said, what do I do? And within five minutes, I got this answer that said, contact the rec department. And then I did. And they were like, they were like, yeah, it'll be a rec department thing. Just, you know, you need insurance. You need insurance. People pay the, the city of Greenfield 10 or $20 to be in our play, and the city of Greenfield gives us insurance. It's great. I love it. <laughs> And the play is free, and it'll be happening uh, this weekend and next week, and Friday, Saturday, and Sunday this week, and then just Saturday and Sunday next week? Correct. 
all um, six, seven. There's a matinee on the 11th at two, and then again at six on next Saturday and three, the Energy Park in Greenfield, which I've spent a lot of time at uh, personally. And you know the where that exists in Franklin County and in Greenfield, it can be a, a little bit of a dicey place to hang out. So it's fun to be able to uh, uh, to be right there and to be presenting Shakespeare on in that free location right off Main Street. And it is not dicey when we are there. (laughs) Shakespeare is always there. As much as people like to say that curriculums have changed over the years, read any Shakespeare, it's all inappropriate. Yep. 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 Absolutely. (laughs) I also appreciate that you've left the definite article off of Energy Park as per an early... We had a fight. I call it the Energy Park all the time. My wife hates when we fight on the air, by the way. She told me it's our anniversary, so we'll try not to fight on the air. Not Khalees and I, my wife and I anniversary. Yes, but I call it the Energy Park and always have, not Energy Park. I don't think anybody calls it that. Anyway, that is where the Twelfth Night will be happening. Last word, Dan Jacob, in the last 10 seconds we have here. I hope you'll clear your schedule for our next production of... Titus Belmonticus. <laughs> Does he have to? Cu- do we have to cut out his tongue? <laughs> I think there are people that would probably love that. <laughs> Thank you to Rachel Cronin Townsend, Dan Greycloud Jacob, uh, Steve Cronin Townsend, uh, and Cassie Wood Triplett, who are part of Twelfth Night happening this weekend and next at the Energy Park in Greenfield. Tomorrow on the Fabulous 413, Pride comes to Franklin County in that same general vicinity, and we'll have Heather Mahoney, Jake Crane, and Casey Dean from Franklin County Pride tell us all the wicked cool events they have in store for us out in in between and more. We'll enter the Tina Turner Memorial Wine Thunderdome with the folks of State Street and Northampton. And for Live Music Friday, Jack Soroff, Evan Arnson, and Andrew Lawrence will join us to chat and play Django for Django in June. Our director is Tony. We'll spend 150% of next week here. Done. Our engineer is Betsy. Not sure if this is all a simulation or if that matters, Lankto. Our technical team is Bart, keeping track of the computer, Dead Rankin. Kara, desperately seeking a quiet space in the building, Foster, and Punk Rude Boy, Dubé. Thanks to Spouse, my spouse, Professor Belmonte, Happy Valley Guitar Orchestra, the Jay Giles Band, John Williams, Suzanne Vega, They Might Be Giants, Hem, and Shakespeare's Sister. We'll see you tomorrow on the Fabulous 413. Ooh.